Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Oh my gosh, today's guest, oh, I met him in person recently, even though we had been in communication for quite some time. He is a, a true, true sort of hero. I mean, I think I met my brother last week in person. Uh, Chuck Fazio, welcome to the show. I am so glad to have you here, my brother. Yeah, it's actually a privilege for me, Michael. So uh, this is exciting. You know, true testament of we had a relationship before ever even meeting and and it was like easy connection. Oh my gosh. But it was just, it was more than a connection. I mean, it was, you and I started comparing notes. We had worked at like different yeah. nightclubs in our youth in New York City that were a few blocks away. And it was, we were destined to meet 30 years yeah. later, but we were destined to meet. Now, I think I might have thrown you out of one of my clubs. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure you would have. I'm sure that's probably a given. So tell me a little bit about that background of yours. Yeah, so, you, you know, I grew up, born and raised in New York, Italian household um, in Queens. And uh, I, I started working in clubs, well, the bars at the age of 17 years old. You know, some buddies of mine said, hey, you want to you go bounce at a club? You know, you'll, you'll get paid to, to drink beer and pick up girls. And I'm like, wow, it sounds like the perfect job for me. And every now and then we'll get in some fights. So I'm like, beautiful. I'd see the icing on the cake. So that was my start. To, to that taste. Yeah. All right. So now tell me, let's even, let's even sort of take it from there. What sort of lessons did you learn back then when you were 17 and bouncing and, you know, you have to negotiate situations, right? You have to make sure that you're still coming back the next day. What lessons did you learn back then that you still use today? You, you know what, Michael? I'm, I'm going to touch on that a little later on because sure. at the age of 17, you don't learn any friggin' lessons. It's, it's, I'm, you, you know, I'm going to be really real with your audience um, because I, I'm one of those guys that I, I don't like to people hear people regurgitate things that other people want to hear because that's kind of the norm. I'm, I'm going to tell you what really, really went through my mind. So really at the age of 17, 18, 19, you, you don't even think of repercussions. You don't think of what if this happened? You, you, um, you, you act on your hormones and all, all I cared about was I was getting paid to drink, pick up girls and, and throw some people out of bars, get in the fights. And so you never really, I didn't learn any lessons. I wish I could say I did at that age, but I will, I will explain it a little later on some of the lessons that I took out that were really incredible. So, all right. So listen, so take me on that journey. Okay. So let's go from the 17 and you're a bouncer. And then, you know, you, you, you actually were, were discovered and then you did some other things and okay. then you ended up in, I, you, this is, this is, a, you lived five lives before you even got to real estate. So oh, yeah. talk to me about that. Okay. So, so uh, I'm, here I am. So I'm going to even backtrack a little further back. From, from early child, because it is funny. I, okay. I was this 
fat Italian kid with that wore these big Coke bottle glasses. And and people would just make fun of me. And, and back in those days, I, I was just a pothead at, at the age of 14, 15 years old. Um, and I, I don't know, just my, my life was just really weird. And I went to an all-boy Catholic school, and I hated school. So when I, when I got offered this job of, of bouncing in the, in the bar, I was like, I was all over it. So you, you know, you're starting to mature. And, and like I said, there I am, you know, picking up girls, drinking beers, and, and getting paid for it. And what happened over the course of a, a few years of working in the same club, it was like a mini club, um, you know, some, some big shots would come in there. And never forget, one of the guys came in there and he was talking to me and my buddy, and I think it was 19 at the time, 1920. So, so mind you, this is back in 19, so I started working in the clubs in 1982, um, yeah, around that. So this is like 85-ish. And they, they said, hey, would you like to go work some, some nightclubs in Manhattan? Now, I'm, I'm recently, I got married in 1986, and, you know, I should have never gotten married. That, that's the best I could explain about that. But so when, when I was dating this girl at the time, but still working in the bars, and so the, the guy says, hey, would you like to go work at this club in Manhattan uh, to me and my buddy? And I'm like, sure, ma'am, I'm open for anything. And he goes, well, you know, you got to get a tuxedo. I'm like, tuxedo, holy crap, where the hell am I working? <laughs> and you come to find out that there was the strip club. And back then was really the transition from the seedy, to, you know, rundown bars where, where there were strippers. They, you know, you, you don't even want to drop something on the floor. God forbid, pick it up. You don't know what's <laughs> on it. To, to these... Now they're, they're building these mega clubs. And it was the first time ever that this whole concept of these strip clubs were these prestigious clubs. Right. And so the, the club was uh, VIP in Manhattan. And um, so now the problem was, is how do I tell my girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, I'm going to go work at a strip club? And, um, but I didn't care what she said. So, so just for the audience to, to understand, I'm going to come full circle. So don't judge me. You, you can have your opinions, but don't judge me till the very end. I'm on this ride with you. <laughs> yeah. So basically I asked just out of courtesy, but it didn't matter what her answer was going to be. I was working it. So I did, I took the job me and my buddy, and, and we started to get into this lifestyle of these tie rollers. Now, these clubs are mafia ran clubs. You know, a lot of cash there. Um, this is who invested the money. And so, so now all of a sudden, I'm starting to get this taste of, you know, celebrities coming in, like, you know, Robert De Niro, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Anthony Michael Hall. I, I mean, it was just, Wow you know, kind of starstruck at that age. Um, so there we are in a tuxedo and we're working around the most beautiful girls in the world because they fly these girls in from all over the world. Sure. Um, and it was a whole different lifestyle where I was, I was just a drinker at the time, but now got introduced to drugs. And 
So it was my first, my first real experience. And I know I said I used to smoke pot. I had quit smoking pot. But I, I'm talking about real drugs, so cocaine. And I, I started to really get hooked into that. So I'm working the clubs, making money, being around these celebrities, feeling this fame and feeling the power. And we used to get a lot of run-ins with Hell's Angels. And because there was always that power play on who was trying to get the money. So, you know, shaking down the mob is not a good thing, you know? Not so, a good idea. No, no, no. But that was my, like a, a lot of different tastes of the power, the fame, the drugs, and the lifestyle of what the mafia does. Right. So I went from working the weekends to working four days a week to five days a week. I was making that like my career nighttime job. Now, I do like to let people know during the day, I was a mailman. So <laughs> yeah, I was a mailman in Queens, Bayside, and I hated that job. Like, like I still have nightmares about that job. <laughs> you, you know, the phrase of going postal. Yeah, that was me. And Chuck, you're like I, an onion. You're like an onion. I'm here. Right, I'm, here. I'm with you. I'm with you. But I hope I hope everybody could could track with me because I get all over the place because I get so much shit in my mind that it just comes out. I'll bring it back. So, so back in the days, I used to I used to do steroids. Yep, and you get your roid rages. And I never forget. I was inside the post office, and then I just jumped around, and and somebody pissed me off. And I literally picked up the whole mail rack and threw it across the room. This is a government job. I was ready to kill people. Like, I had issues. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. So let's go back to the clubs. <laughs> so we got to get to real estate at some point. Oh, shit, that's right. <laughs> that's what this podcast is about, by the way. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll make it quick. So... So I'm really getting the taste of um, maturity in the club. So you had something earlier. What lessons did I come out of this? So here's the, here's the really jacked up mindset that I had. And I always go pre-Christ. So just, we'll put that. On, on why I'm, I, I think I'm that good at sales today. Number one is I had to learn how to negotiate out of situations. And you have to negotiate out of situations for your life. Yes. Like this is not, oh, sales, let me go door knock, figure this out. I learned on the streets, sales 101, probably the best sales training that anybody could have, but I don't recommend it for anybody. So negotiating my life, that's one. Two is, then I started selling the drugs. So there's my other negotiating skills not only dealing the drugs and selling them and bargaining, but when I had to go to the dealers, the bigger dealers, negotiating that and, and getting frustrated when they don't show up, you know, for the drop. I mean, this is back in the 80s. So there were no cell phones. You had to pay phones, making the hookup, meeting in some random parking lot, looking around for cops. I mean, you, you, your mind is always working. <laughs> So I, I told you, this is going to be a raw show. <laughs> so, note to self, 
negotiating with Hell's Angels, not recommended. Not recommended. Um, <laughs> selling drugs to get negotiating skills, also not recommended. <laughs> I, I, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know this is, this is going to be the kicker. So now I'm married. I'm the most degenerate husband you'll ever meet. I, I am. I'm, I'm a womanizing degenerate member pre-Christ. So here was one of my best negotiating skills. I purposely wore my wedding band so that when I go to pick up girls, they would see I was married. So it would be more of a challenge to pick them up. So, so my, my negotiating skills were off the chart, off the chart. I actually loved when they said, oh, you're married. I'm never getting, and in my mind, I'm like, game on. I'm going to pull out the best lines. That, that was me. That's wrong. Dude, I've never told anybody this. I think it's oh my God. You, you are, you're incredible. You are, and for the audience, by the way, Chuck is on the show because he is actually one of the best people in our industry. He actually came to, a, to, to EXP with a 900 member team. So I want everyone to hang in here while we start talking Michael, about People this. on your show are listening and go, did Michael lose his mind? <laughs> Where the hell did he find this guy? <laughs> He's got a drug dealing bouncer on the show. This is awesome. Let's fast forward a few decades. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your real estate career now. Oh, uh, okay. So we don't want to talk about my dancing, my, the, the oh, talk man. shows. No, no, we'll, we'll get past let's, Well, let's, let's, let's fill in some of that. I mean, it's, I don't know. You want to sort of like, so, by the way, I thought that was incredible. You were a Chippendales dancer in the 80s. Yep, I, I was a, a stripper. Uh, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was on talk shows. I was on Ricky Lake, Mark Wahlberg, Richard Bay. It, it's like I, I learned early on that if I'm going to get somewhere in life, I am going to be freaking assertive because I always hungered for this fame, for the power. Now, now I, I say, though, I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And, you, you know, and I do want the audience to know I, I'm a saved man. The Lord got into my life. That, that's something that's between me and him. Uh, I live for Christ now. And, but, but people go, are you ever ashamed of your background? And I said, if I'm ashamed of my background, then I would have to say that God was never in control. So, so everything that happened in my life had to be a purpose, which, which let's fast forward then to how did this translate into where am I at today? Yes. And what am I doing? Um, so I moved out. So, so working in a lot of mafia ranch strip clubs, I, I'm working them really big with, with selling drugs. I went from cocaine to ecstasy. I used to take 10 hits of ecstasy a night. I would, I would literally black out at the wheel at least six times I did this on the Long Island Expressway and, and waking up doing about 90 miles an hour right before impacting the divider. Six times. I literally just black out. Yeah, from, from so much drugs in my system. Oh, my God. And... Um, so I should have been 10 times over. Oh, I do want to tell you another cool negotiating story on how good I got at negotiating. <laughs> so I never forget, I, I used to, um, they used to call me up to go clean up clubs. 
Like if, if clubs were having problems, I would put together a crew, which once again, as I look back, Michael, especially when you said I'm going to be on the show, I really said, I want to, I want to give you something different that I never did before. Cause I don't really go through all this. And I said, really, how did my life get me to where I'm at? Yes. And that, as I went through my whole life, everything, everything I did, although most of it negative, taught me the skills of sales and negotiating. So I used to be the type of, what's up? And survival. And survival. I, I used to go into clubs purposely to recruit other big, good bouncers. Like I always put the best, to get the best group. So I was always negotiating and wheeling and dealing. So I was team so I building. Some, you were yeah, team. You know, I'm a team builder. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Of, of people who will kick your ass. <laughs> you were building your team. I love that. <laughs> so, so um, I got called in to clean up some club up in the Bronx and, and I brought in a crew, and two of the people on my crew were, were New York City cops. And I never forget this nightclub would have so much, you, you had to deal with the Albanians. They were taking over this club. And I could, I would get at some point, I could feel negative energy. Like, and, and I look back, and I, I think God's given me a gift of feeling spiritual warfare. And I never forget, we're in this club, and this club was out of control, packed. And um, House of Pain came on, Jump Around. And that's not the type of song you want on in a club like this. And you can feel the rage starting to build up with people. Oh so one of, one of the guys, one of the city cops that I work with, without my permission, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, so clubs were open to 4. He went into the DJ booth because he felt like this was getting out of control. And he told the DJ to shut the music off and turn the lights on. So all of a sudden, you can feel the And all of a sudden, the music stopped, the lights go on. And I'm like, who the, what the hell? And the rage started between these people. And they circled us. Oh, no. Like, this is the first time I, I really feared for my life. And they knew I was in charge. And I looked at my buddy who was, who was the other city cop. I go, dude, you got your piece on you? I go, because we're going to be in a heap of shit. And he goes, Chuck, I ain't pulling out my piece because there's too many of them. And the, the one guy walked up to me. So there's this around this, the, the club's lights are on. He put his gun to my head. Stop it. And, the, and they said, kill him. Kill him. Because they, they thought I'm the one who ordered to, to stop their fun. And... I, le I learned how to negotiate. I learned how to diffuse situations. And nobody ever taught me. You learn just by, you, here's a great sales tip for anybody out there. You want to be good at sales, keep doing the shit over and over. And you get hit out of it. You learn from your mistakes. And, yep, I've had bottles smashed in my face because I didn't negotiate good enough at one point. But, but anyway, I got out of that situation. And, and I look back now and, my sales negotiating is off the charts. Well, I, I can imagine. With, yeah, I know how to deal with people. You have to relate to people, even when they're in a fit of rage. And you need to also read the room, right? You need to know your audience. You need to know your client in this case. Yes, absolutely. Hey, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah if you ever sit with me, you'll never see my, I'm always sitting with my back to a wall. Yeah. I always know the room. When my first wife started dating me, 
every time we would go out, she goes, why are you always, you, you scour the room like a radar. And, and I go, it's just habit. I know everything that's going on wherever I'm at. Because I'm not only there to protect myself, I'm there to protect the people that are with me. And, you know, I think, uh, I think that's a nightclub thing because I still do that. I still sort of like <laughs> see the room and I sort of like know who's there. And then it's also, it's really astonishing because then when you sit with somebody, I, you know, we'll probably pick up details, right? <laughs> and so that no one else will, will see. No. And, it, it's sort of like, you know, this person has their bag on the floor or this person, has, you know, and like you'll see things and it's like, wait, how'd you even, how'd you even yeah. know to look at that? It's like, it's the way that you're sort of like blinders are set, right? You're wired. You're wired yes. because it's years and years yes. of, of that intuition. That's you, right. It's funny because some things would happen where my wife would put herself in compromising positions and I go, why did you go park next to that or put this? And she goes, how do you think that way? She thought I was out of my, my mind at first. <laughs> All right. So now that we're halfway through this podcast interview, <laughs> <laughs> tell me how you got into real estate, please. Okay. So, so I kind of wanted to, I, I, I'm in New York. I never thought I would ever leave New York. That was nothing I, I ever thought. And my brother, so I have a brother and a sister. My brother had left New York. Uh, he worked for Local 3 and couldn't find work as an electrician. So he moved to Arizona and he moved his wife and his kid down there. And this was back in 91. And so he's living in Arizona. Now, I'm not close with my brother, but it's still my brother. And then, um, then my sister said she was going to move to Arizona with her husband. And my parents bought a house, so they were eventually going to move. So we're looking at probably the beginning of 1998. You know, I am married. I am a piece of shit, drug addict, degenerate. Um, I've had a hit put out on me. It's it, like the whole nine yards. You just deal with it. You start to realize that you're in a shitty, shitty lifestyle. And, you know, working with the mob, they do teach you loyalty. They do teach you, you know, a handshake goes a long way. I'll do anything on a handshake. And people in this day and age don't understand that. So so I I said, you know what? I'm done. I I go, I got to change my life or I'm going to be dead. There's no way I could survive at the pace I'm going. So, so 98, I had two little kids, my wife, who I didn't really have a good relationship with. And I said, you, let's, let's move to Arizona. Let, let's try to give this thing a whirl and make it work. So I quit the post office. I didn't want to work there anymore. I couldn't stand that job. And I, I said, I don't even know what we're going to do. I, I didn't even have a job. So I go, I'll figure it out when I get there. Because that's just the way it is. You, you know, I love the Frank Sinatra song. That New York, New York. If you can make it there, you can Absolutely. make it anywhere. It's up to you. And you know what? New Yorkers are really instilled with that. And people looked at me, they go, you moved cross country without even having a job and a family? I go, yeah, you find that strange? I don't know. I'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, I just know who I am. Absolutely. So, so we I moved out there. And um, I said, you know what? Let me get the real estate. And I knew nothing about real estate. Nothing. I didn't even own a home. You, you know, paying taxes on houses in New York were crazy enough. So when I got into real estate school 
And I'm going through the classes, and I hate school. I'm not a school kid. And I'm like, what the hell did I sign up for? And and I'm, I'm going, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden, and once again, all the recruiters were coming in from different companies. So, so Keller Williams had come in. And, you know, they met me and they're all nice to me. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. And the guy says, you know, as soon as you get your license, you come work with us. And they never forget that I went home. I told my dad, I said, dad, I already got a job. Somebody's already willing to hire me already. That was my thought process. Meanwhile, any company will take you. Right, of course. And so so I I got my license, finally passed after failing five times. And um, I hung it with a KW and realize how hard real estate is. You didn't have a good start to it, did you? Not at all. I was a failure. I couldn't sell homes. You want to know, I I do have to say something. Six months in, because I joined a team, the biggest joke in in KW, because they all knew me, I'm this brass New Yorker. I had long hair and a ponytail, and I wouldn't cut it. And um, so the biggest joke was, they go, Chuck, you hold the record for getting people to sign a contract and then backing out. They go, do you threaten these people? And I go, I think my negotiating skills were too tough. Like people were, they said, people were afraid to say no, they just signed contracts and then backed out and went dark on me. <laughs> it, was, it was, oh my gosh, this sucks. So maybe my skills weren't that honed in yet. Oh, wait, 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 wait. But, but then it was like, you know, but then, then you met Angela, right? Yeah. So, so I'm on this team. It was a husband and wife team. And there's 20 agents of the team. I'm broke. This is about maybe a year and a half after I have my license. I'm, I'm broke. And uh, I I'm, I'm took a graveyard shift working security at the casino and I'm sitting in the back of the room. I'm a, I'm a miserable SOB and don't know who God is yet. And in walks this angel. Well, Angela, angel, same thing. Same. Um, she's got long platinum blonde hair. She's, she's a blonde. And she walks into the room and I'm like, wow. And, and she sits down in the front of the room and the husband and wife knew she was coming because they run the team. And I went to the husband, like, who's that? And he goes, I'll tell you later. They left. They knew I was going to react like that. So, so remember, this is this is a raw channel. So I'll tell you how the first word spoken to me. So the meeting starts. This is back in, in 2001. And the, the wife, she, she's writing the sales on the board. Everybody else out there sales. Of course, I got nothing. So, so I'm miserable. And she was on a diet. And I yelled out. I said, hey, hey Nikki. You want to diet in front of everybody? So she turns around all happy. And she goes, yeah, Chuck. She goes, she goes you can tell? And I go, yeah, I can see the board now. Um, yeah, yeah. I got issues. I got it. Everybody listening, I know I got it. Oh, my God. But the, so it was like the exorcist. Here's this beautiful blonde. I don't think her body moved. I think her head just spun around. If I recall correct, and she looks right at me in front of everyone, and she goes, "What are you, an asshole?" That was the first words ever spoken to me, and it was love at first sight. <laughs> That's how we met. And then, and then, how long have you been married? <laughs> oh my gosh, we're married almost twenty years. We don't have, we don't spend not one day apart. We you guys are well, together. You guys are really one unit. 
But yeah, it is just, it's beautiful to see that. And it was so wonderful to spend time with Angela also last week. And it was just it, 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 amazing. She, you know, I remember we were out to dinner and at one point I looked up to her and I just sort of said, you know, you're just pure joy. Yes. And she was just like, did you just say that to me? And I was like, it's true. You really are. Yeah, you know. she loves you. She thinks she thinks the world. Oh, it's very mutual. It's yeah. very mutual. Okay, now, 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 now. Okay, so now you start sort of like you know you start sort of insulting your team leader. You start <laughs> sort of like having zero sales. I, I thought it was a compliment, but I guess not. <laughs> you meet Angela, and then I yeah. heard an amazing statistic. You had zero sales, and then you went in less than three years to be the top one percent in the entire state. Yeah, how the heck did that happen? Yeah. Okay. So, so here's it. We partnered up after I finally used my negotiating skills to win her over. You see, I told you I'm good at sales and I love challenges. So, so we're partnered up and at the same time, the life lessons came in that we, we were both coming out of a divorce and we knew, we knew something was missing in our life and we knew it was God. And it, to us, our, our spiritual walk is, is incredible. My testimony is actually on TV on the 700 Club. And, and we did. I, I found Jesus. And I, I felt the day it transformed me. So we, we were both seeking the Lord. And, and we, we, our motto was, is we walk by faith, not by sight. And what I mean by that is, we were so broke, Michael. I mean, so broke. We were ready to move in with my parents. She's got her little baby. I got my two little kids. And we said, all right, God, if you're real, where do you got us? And, and he sent some signs to leave Keller Williams. Now, for anybody out there, this is not a diss on KW. It's not what I'm saying. Sure. But, but it was a leap of faith. And so we interviewed companies. And mind you, we're broke. We don't know. We don't even know how to sell real estate. And he put us at a local brokerage that had about 4,000 agents. It's the biggest independent brokerage in Arizona. And God said, that's where you're going. And I'm like, well, they're not going to teach us to sell real estate. And he goes, no, you're going to figure it out. And we went from being broke. As soon as we made that move, within, within two months, we started selling homes. And at the same time, two girls said, hey, we want to be on your team. And I'm like, what the hell's a team? I go, I'm broke. And they go, we just want to be around you. You guys are energetic. You're fun. So we're like, fine, hang around me. We went within three years. So we went from, from 12 million to 17 million to 28 million to 40 million, just like that. Bang, 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 year after year to running a team that was doing 89 million a year. And that wasn't even counting our numbers. So, so it was just like a whirlwind. But, but here's the best, it was all God. It was, his, it was, he said, trust me, we did. We implemented systems. We're our people skills. We just love on people. And, and the world is relational. You know, when God says be a servant leader, we take that to heart. We, we do, you, you know, it's kind of crazy. Whether somebody believes in the Bible or not is irrelevant. The concepts in the Bible and I say it's from the creator, but the concepts in the Bible are real. And I really think some people push back without wanting to know what it says, because I believe in spiritual warfare, just because it's the Bible. Because anybody that says, thou shalt not kill, steal, commit adultery, that's not a bad thing to say. 
But because it's in the Bible, people go, oh, that's horrible. You can't believe that. It's amazing. So, so here's what Jesus did. So we emulated. When, when Jesus met the needs of someone, anyone that was in need, a blind person, hungry person, whatever it is, he didn't go, I'm Jesus. You need to believe in me. Here's what he did. He met their needs first. And that's what we did. That was our biggest trend. We met people's needs. We were not trying to sell them a home. And me and Angela would always work together. And we we would just have fun with each other. Sometimes we'd forget people were in the back seat. And people just loved hanging around us. And and when they said, oh, we want to write an offer, I go, oh, that's right. We're supposed to sell homes. And the checks were flowing in. That's amazing. It was really putting yourselves into that spirit of what you were doing. And you were actually serving others. And that's when you started like came into that. And I say that so often on this on this podcast. It's the idea that, you know, we're here to serve others. And that's what makes us successful. The more people you serve, the more you are actually being able to receive. And so and that's so beautiful. And, you know, and this is. It, I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask this question. So <laughs> I want you to tell me three pieces of advice you would give somebody entering the business today from everything you've learned. Three pieces of advice. And I'm yeah. going to say the best one for last. Okay. So advice number one, do not look at just the fees. Don't be narrow-minded and go, Where's the cheapest company to hang my license at? Nobody ever creates wealth by saving money. This is not a, it's a business life lesson. But I, when, when I run a business, because we did, we built one of the largest independent bro- single office brokerages. I never ask someone, if someone offers me an opportunity, I don't say, how much does that cost? I could give a crap how much it costs. I always go, what's my return on investment? What am I getting for it? It's too many agents are, are drawn in to these low fee, hang your license brokerages and then wonder why they fail. It's because they get, you get what you pay for pretty much. So number one, don't be narrow-minded on, on the fees. Number two, most people get into real estate and they have no freaking idea what real estate is. And that, that to me, because we also run our own school, too many people get into real estate. Here's what I hear, because I'll, I'll always, I've been doing this for over 10 years. Why'd you get into real estate? Because I love analyzing people. I love understanding problems and solving them. And, and here's 90 to 95% of the times people get in because they go, I lost my job. I'm looking for something to do. Um, I'm a, I'm a mom and my kids are older and now it's my time and I want to be a real estate agent or, Oh, my friends think I'm going to be great at real estate. You hear these same things regurgitated over and over and over. And most people getting into real estate never own their own business. They've had a job. So they don't know what it is to run a business. So every, almost every agent, almost every comes in at it at already a loss. That if they don't, if they don't understand how how much they don't know, they're they're done, and that's why the fail rate's so high. And the real estate school does not teach them to sell real estate, does not teach them the business aspect 
Perfect. So that's why you need to mindset before you jump in, understand what real estate is. Because you could sit and tell me you love people and love looking at homes, but when you don't have that person in the car with you, you go, holy shit, I love houses, I love selling homes, but who am I doing it with? (laughs) That's a big fail. The last piece of advice that I got to learn over the course of my years of maturing is who you surround yourself with matters. It is, it is, I, I, I sometimes so cannot overemphasize that it, it goes for everything in your life, guys. If you're miserable in your life, if you suck at your job, the first thing you should look at is who do you surround yourself with? Yeah. You know, my, my favorite verse is Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. I take that to heart. And, and, and if you really, like that verse, like I'm a visual, when you think about ironing, sharpening iron, here's what, here's what most people do. They want to be the iron and they're around tinfoil. What the frig is tinfoil going to do for you? And the people in your life that gossip, that complain, that slander, victim mentality, they will suck the friggin' life out of you. And then you wonder why you're not successful. You can't help being successful when you're with big thinkers all the time. And, and I'm that life of, I come from a demonic world. I come from a bunch of degenerates and I became a degenerate. And, and you know, Michael, here's another thing for the parents out there. It, it's kind of funny as adults, we lose sight of the same things we preach because mm. as parents, here's what you say to your kids. Don't hang around little Johnny. He's bad news. Don't hang around. Oh, those are the drug addicts. Those are the ones. Don't you hang around with them. You're going to get caught up with that. We can tell our kids what to do, but then go look at your own life and see who the hell you're hanging around with. Don't complain to me when you're not successful. <laughs> That's so true. That's that's very simple. Simple. Very simple. It's so, so true. And, you know, and it's, and it's, and it, and, you know, it's, it's always the fact that, you know, the predictor of your future is also by the five top people that you hang around with today. Oh my gosh. You, You know what, Michael, when you said something so simple, that might be the problem. It's so simple. People don't really think that has that much of an impact. Yeah, that's true. You know, look, you might have to cut people out of your life. Now, if you're listening, don't go home to your spouse and go, I heard this guy, Chuck, and he says, I need to cut you out. No, don't don't do that. Have a conversation, though. Absolutely. Tell people what you're looking for. That's absolutely true. And look at look what happened when you and Angela had a focused goal. Right. You really just sort of like you became a unit. And that was powerful than two individuals. You were both failing. You came yeah. together as one unit and got to the, to the top, literally, of your, of your industry and your state. Because yeah. you came together. It goes back to iron sharpening iron, right? Yep. It's that sort of magic. So even tell me. So you came, to, you came to EXP with probably the largest brokerage to date, if I'm correct, if, I, if, I, if memory yes. serves me. So you had 900 or so agents that you since have grown to 4,000 agents. This is crazy. So talk to me about that whole story. How did you build to 900 agents? How did you sort of like, you know, because you you just sort of like mentioned in passing, you had 
two girls that thought you guys were fun and you wanted to hang out with them. And those were the first two people of your team. You grew to 900 people. Yeah. How'd that happen? 906 to be exact. <laughs> so you know how that happens? Passion. Passion. When you believe in the product you're selling with all your heart and you know your big why in life, and, and I am, my why is unshakable, unshakable. My why is everything I do is to glorify God. That is my why. So if I put everything under that umbrella, I will treat everyone with that thought process of, is, is this glorifying God the way I'm acting? Now, don't get me wrong. It ain't perfect. You, you know, I, I, got a, I got a bad streak of my backside to me, but it, it, that's my why. I'm laser focused on it. Then you become a servant leader. And people feel that. And, pe- and my wife is a female me. So, so this is not 50-50 making 100. This is 100-100 making 200. It, 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 a thousand, actually. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, right. It's a multiplier, like those horses. With, that's I right. That was horses they talk about. But so, so that's what we did. We live and breathe our company because we believed it was better than anything else out there. And then uh, four, five years ago, I had a vision of building the most incredible physical space. Uh, which God made to come to fruition three, three and a half years ago, 21,000 square feet. It's got 30 offices, eight conference rooms, podcast, esthetician, green screen, bar cafe, game room, 7,000 square foot patio. But I did it for my agents. You see, talk is cheap. I can tell you how much you mean to me, but I'm going to show it because I'm going to spend money on it. So we built the 900 agent brokerage basically by giving the best systems and, and understanding this industry better than anyone else. I, I, I've over in my career, I've overseen over 40,000 homes sold and 9 billion in production. I know this industry real well. So yeah. we pour into them and I believed if they didn't come with us, they were going somewhere inferior period. Not put nobody down. So we built the right. 900 agent brokerage Three and a half years ago, though, um, I was introduced to EXP when they were pretty much a no-name company. And at the time, I was asked, Chuck, you should come work EXP. Now, we need you there. And I'm like, dude, I run the biggest brokerage in the country. I ain't leaving my company for that. And Glenn, Glenn got on the phone with me on a conference call and basically said, you know what? I'd love to have you. All you have to do is move your license, let Angela run your brokerage. Now, there was still a risk involved with that, Michael, because I'm running a brokerage. I'm the face of the company. It's not like I'm not there. So my agents are going to go, wait a minute, the owner of the company is not even at his own company? Boy, the recruiters will have a field day with that one. But we prayed on it. We, Our staff is our family. We said to the staff, do you think this is a smart thing? I could build all over the country, use the gifts God's given me. And we basically said, let's do it. And yeah, the bullshit came out of the woodworks, the rumors spread, gossip. One of the rumors was that me and Angela was getting a divorce, and that lit me up. That, I, I don't mind gossip, but, but don't attack my wife. That's, that's not good. Not smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I didn't believe in the company at first. I didn't believe in it. So I didn't have a passion. But as I, over the first year, I'm starting to watch it. Like I said to Angela, I go, Holy shit, this company's real. 
They're solving pain points that I can't even solve. So we got to this crossroads to go, if we're truly servant leaders, if God says, I want you to be a blessing, why would he just want us to do it in our own hometown? And is this really the model to do it in? And, you know, without going into all the details, a lot of prayer, six months of no sleep, because I was literally closing a brokerage that's doing $2 billion a year. Wow. And because you get no guarantees they're coming. And we did it. And how do you tell 900 agents at one time? And so it leaked out before we told anybody. The vultures from all the other companies pounced all over us. Uh, I lost 600 agents. Wow. Out of 900. I didn't know that. Wow. And the industry got a big laugh. They thought I'm the biggest idiot in the industry that literally destroyed one of the biggest and best companies. And now I laugh because now I'm up to almost 4,300 agents. Wow. Um, across, across the country. So you actually started with 300 because you lost 600. So you started with 300 and you grew to 4,300. Well, well, I'm backtrack. I did have some people in my downline because remember I was there prior. So I didn't have a lot, but, but the, there was, it, I at least saw the model worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but exponential growth Amazing. Is, is, is actually off the charts right now. But here. Here's the cool thing, Michael, and here's why one of the big driving factors why I did it. I'm not, I'm not helping agents anymore. That is not my focus to help agents. My focus is to change their friggin' life. And I couldn't do that at my brokerage. I, I couldn't it. change someone's life. You know, and, and it's such a beautiful thing to hear that because that's my passion when I'm actually doing the, um, the expansion globally my team and I really start focusing on that. And I say to everyone, this is so much larger than we are because what we're doing is changing people's lives. Yeah. You can't put that on a P&L. It doesn't fit on a balance sheet. Mm-mm. And that's the vision by which you go. And that's why I think we've grown as quickly as we've grown. And yeah. that's so beautiful to hear you say that because look at how successful you've been. You came with the largest brokerage and you built it to something that was like, four times plus what you yeah. built. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. I've got two other questions for you. God, Tell me what the greatest lesson you ever learned was. And that could be a big one with you. <laughs> the greatest lesson I ever learned. So, so if I'm going to use lesson, I'm going to use something on a worldly term of, of what yeah. I've learned is communication. I love that. And I, I was a failure in every sense of the word because I was so full of myself because I always thought the way I think was the way to think. I always thought the way I acted was the way people should act. And I, I never got out of my own way in, in any type of relationship. It was always me, 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 me. And I never, I never took time to understand other people. And I now know I don't know it all. And I also know, like with me and my wife, me and my wife have, so I go from this womanizing degenerate of literally making fun of guys who stayed loyal to their wives to being around one woman for 20 years 
that we never spend, we, we almost don't even spend a minute apart. We have date nights six, seven times a week. We got six kids, two grandchildren. And I love the girl with all of my heart. She's, she is my life. And she knows everything about me and I know everything about her. And so the trust is off the chart. Yeah. But it's because of communication. Like I know I could say something to her that will piss her off. Like if she did something or I did something, we know we could say, listen, what you did, that, that hurt me. And we know we could say that out of love and we know the other might get mad, but we know we both come down and we go, we're soulmates. Yeah. So we can say something to each other. And then I also knew, this is the other thing I learned through communication, is she could have a pers perspective on something that's 100% right. And I can have a perspective on the same thing that's opposite of hers and mine's 100% right. Yeah. And I realized, well, two different human beings could look at the same thing and both be correct, but have different perspective. That's, that's right. called communication. And this that. world, the world we live in, is, is probably one of the biggest flaws right now with this world that we're living is Nobody knows how to communicate. They it's just true. speak. They just yell. They just get angry. That when someone speaks, they don't listen. They're just formulating their answer before they even really understand and process what they just heard. Yeah. It's so that, true. That's probably one of my biggest life lessons. I love that. Besides knowing Jesus. <laughs> I love that. So my final question yeah. for you. In your book of life, what's this chapter called? Critical mass. Oh, I love critical that. Mass. Tell me what that means. I am a critical mass in every part of my life right now. You know, as you get older, you, you know, you, you start to realize and you understand why people at any age don't ever feel the age they're at because yeah. we live in it. And, you know, as you get older, you're going, oh, that age ain't that old. Remember <laughs> when you were younger, I was an old person. You know, I'm that old person. But what, what I, why I'm saying critical mass is because things are now culminating in my life where you, you look at some point, you don't live forever. And although nobody knows the day or the time they're going, the fact of the matter is we all die one day and it doesn't mean you have to grow old. But the fact is the older you get, the closer you're coming, period. And with that, it makes me look at life differently. So there's where my critical mass comes in in every aspect. One is my relationship with my wife is a critical mass. We are so connected, so bonded, so in love, so enjoy each other's company. Business. My business is finally coming together. I'm changing people's lives. I'm in the right platform doing the thing that God wants me to do. It's reaching critical mass, and I believe it's going to really get to some great level communication, people skills. I'm, I'm learning how to interact with people. I'm learning how to get out of my own way. Stop being so prideful. I, I pray every day for the Lord to rid me of my pride and ego because it'll get in the way of, of getting relationships. And then uh, lastly, in, in the critical masses, I'm getting rid of people in my life that shouldn't be there. I love is, is I'm not a people pleaser anymore. Look, 
if, if you're going to be a gossiper, if you're going to, if I'm going to hang out with you and you're a guy and you want to talk about women or, or how much you hate your wife, look, don't hang around me. Keep that to yourself. I don't want to hear it. I, I, I can't be around negative energy, games, people who don't trust me or believe me. Look, if you don't know me by now, so be it. You yeah. know, I, I don't have time anymore. So my life in every aspect is reaching critical mass. I and to be somebody that. like you, Michael, I'm going to tell you, you, you know, I, I don't know if it's, it's strange because people say it's harder to make good friends as you get older. And I actually am the opposite because I know I knew so many people in New York, so many. Everybody knew who I was. Yeah. And do you know how many people I talked to in New York? One. One. That's amazing. One. And, well, two I, now. Two now. Yeah, there, there you go. And I'm forming relationships now that are tighter because you know why I'm more mature. I see what I want. I can, I can read people. I, and you, you're a man. I'm gonna tell you from the first time I spoke with you. So I didn't even have to say. I didn't really, just, just I did my homework on who you are, and I'm like, this guy's the real deal. And then to culminate it and meet you, I go. This is why I'm at EXP Realty. It's people like you. I'm meeting people like you all the time. It's, it's, I can't explain that. But let me it's tell crazy. you something, Chuck. Um, it was, you know, you had one of the greatest stories at EXP. And it was my pleasure to have known you. And then when I actually met you, I swear to you, I felt like I found a brother. And we had such a similar background. And it was it was it was crazy to really uh, without the drugs in the mafia, but just living in New York. <laughs> but it was it was amazing just to to have the heart that you have. And you are such an incredible leader and you're an incredible teacher. And you've changed so many people's lives, including your own. And you are a true inspiration. And I cannot thank you enough for this conversation because you, you know what's the beauty of this is that I've been blessed by, by, by this podcast and the fact that we're now all over the world. We're distributed in 70 countries. You, you and I will never know this conversation and who it helped, but I guarantee you that that's happening and it will happen. And yeah. I thank you for that. Yeah, and, and I want I do want to leave it off with this because I always want to make people people sharp one thing. Everything that every good and every good ounce of me is through God. I give all the glory to God because if it wasn't for the Spirit of God coming in and radically changing me, I'd be that same degenerate that walked the face of this earth if I'd have still been alive. Yeah. Chuck. Thank you. Thank you for sitting down. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you for your candor. And thank you for your friendship that is only developing with us. So thank you for everything, my brother. Yeah, and if anybody ever messes with you, I'd be on a plane tomorrow to being out there to protect my brother. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for all of you yeah. for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Michael Valdez.